guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 190. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Once again, we do have a question and answer episode for you. So Jack, going to hit you up with this first question, and uh, hopefully it's not too much of a snoozer. This question says, what are some sleep tips apart from supplements to help when you struggle to fall asleep? Yeah, so quite a few different tips that we can mention. And I'm glad that the question asker didn't want to hear about supplements because ultimately supplements really are just the cherry on top. So the habits that you have around sleep, your sleep hygiene is going to contribute significantly more to your quality of sleep and sleep onset uh, than supplements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're not just going to sprinkle a whole bunch of diazepam on that. Mm. (laughs) So let's just list a few here and there. So I won't necessarily start with the most important, but one that does spring to mind for sleep onset is caffeine, especially if someone is a caffeine drinker or coffee, energy drink, pre-workout in the afternoon, then that can potentially interfere with people's sleep onset and quality, even if you don't realize it. Like, I think often people think, okay, I don't have a caffeine buzz or I don't have caffeine high and therefore it's not going to interfere with my sleep. Mm. Uh, But that's not the case, unfortunately. No, they've even shown that in the literature for people who, you know, they're like, oh, I can drink caffeine or I can drink a coffee and then fall asleep immediately their brain waves at night, they're still not the same as someone who's going really into that really deep sleep. I even had some housemates like that in uni who are just adamant about how they could drink monsters late at night or how they could have a coffee. And yeah, sure, they'd still fall asleep, but they weren't necessarily the perkiest or most productive people that I knew. So everyone does metabolize caffeine at different rates, but a general rule of thumb is to try to avoid caffeine, at least highly caffeinated beverages after 12 p.m. So you might have like a cup of green tea or something in the afternoon, but we're talking about things that are probably well over 100 milligrams per serving in the afternoon. Yep, Mm. I would agree. I think another good point is sleep and wake time Mm. and just establishing that consistency because your body does like consistency and if you try and fall asleep at different times, sure, if you have a reason behind that, like you're a shift worker, for example, then that's somewhat out of your control. But if uh, you're able to establish, let's say, within half an hour to an hour, consistent sleep and wake time, that would be amazing. Yeah, your body loves developing a good circadian rhythm and knowing what to expect because on that front, it's going to get used to actually secreting certain hormones at certain times. So it's actually going to get used to secreting cortisol in the morning at certain times. That's going to help wake you up. It's going to help to secrete melatonin at certain times. That's going to help to make you start feeling drowsy and sleepy at nighttime. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I find with sleep is just people's psychology around sleep. Like when you tell someone that they need to eat more protein to build muscle they'll they'll do that or if you they need to train a certain way in order to build more muscle then they'll do that but with sleep i find that it's a little bit different Mm. the recommendations that people give out for sleep people are sometimes less receptive to change their habits than other things i found yeah they are quite resistant aren't they Mm. But hell, you could argue, and I think Matthew Walker with his book called Why We Sleep 
makes some pretty damn compelling arguments for why sleep is probably one of the most performance-enhancing and life-enhancing and life-lengthening drugs on the planet above all else. So it really should be prioritized out there with food and water mm-hmm. <laughs> and sunlight. <laughs> but I think another thing that sometimes people don't always think about when it comes to sleep is your sleep environment. So making sure that the place that you're sleeping, one, it is said that your bedroom and the place that your bed is should really just be used for sleep, sleep and sex, if you're lucky. <laughs> but I also understand that sometimes people don't always have that luxury either. So let's say that you're living in a share house and you just have your room. And obviously your room might have your desk in it. You might have like a TV in your room or something. You're probably doing multiple things in your room, but if you are maybe living in an apartment or you're living in a house, try to separate activities that you do in your room to other places in the house. So try to not associate the bedroom with anything other than when you go in there, maybe you're getting changed because your clothes are in there or you're falling asleep. But I wouldn't be eating in your bedroom. I wouldn't be studying in your bedroom. I wouldn't just be like chilling out in your bedroom, just like laying on your back on your phone or on your computer or something. Just associate the bedroom and your bed with sleep, but also have your bedroom a nice environment that's really inviting, that's gonna allow for you to have a good quality night's sleep. So investing in a good quality mattress and a nice bed and nice pillows and a nice quilt and sheets and things that are like, ah, man, I can't wait to just lay down and just hit the hay. But also having a dark room, having a room that is a good temperature. So they say that ideal room temperature for sleep should be around 18 degrees or so and also something that's quiet too Mm. yeah ideally you want to associate your bedroom with sleep and nothing else and (laughs) nothing at all (laughs) because i i do agree that if you use your room for lots of different things like for example I mean, it's quite normal growing up that Mm. you use your room for sleeping and studying. Or when you're in trouble, you're grounded. Yeah. You're stuck in your room. (laughs) Mm. And I mean, looking back, I don't think that really interfered too much with my sleep, but potentially as adults that that may change. Mm. And also like another example is a messy room as well. Like I think if you have a messy room, like I would really struggle to sleep because it's not really a welcoming environment. It's, It's hectic. It's crazy. There's... Too much stuff going on. <laughs> There's too many socks and underwear on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like I think if if you... Our room, for example, it's mm. very simple, basic. Uh, no light can get in. Air conditioner in there. Mm. Clean, which is big for me. Like being able to sleep on in a clean environment. Even the sheets have to be in a very specific position. Like on my side of the bed, if like one of the quilt covers like comes over the corner, Jack will like go over there with a bit of OCD and fix it. I'll be like, hey, you moved the blanket, my toes are cold. (laughs) But hey, the little things certainly count. But at the same time, I so recognize that sometimes people also don't always have that luxury. Mm. So if you are sleeping in a room that let's say that you don't have the best blinds and quite a bit of light comes in, or let's say that it is quite loud because you live close to a bus stop or a street and people are always going by in their cars or, you know, freaking cyclists at like four in the morning talking and yapping. What you can do is actually sleep with an eye mask and maybe sleep with some earbuds so you can actually really close out that light and close out the noise as well and uh, just be out to the world. 
there's a lot of great products out there now. Like I personally use silicon ear plugs because they adhere to the ear better and they don't pop out. Mm. I think everyone has different shaped canals as well, mm. which I know you don't mind those foam ones, but I've never been able to use yeah. the foam. I could, I use the good old tradey ones. Yeah. <laughs> you just, ones you get on airplanes. Yeah, that you just squeeze and you just shove them in. But uh, There's even things like the sleep headbands now, which go over your ears and that you can listen to music or... Uh, there's this, I think it's called sleep, sleep 80. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but it's essentially this mattress cover. I think I was telling you about it a few weeks ago, but it's a mattress cover that you put on your bed and it temperature regulates the, the mattress. Mm -hmm. So one side could be warmer, one side could be cooler and ridiculously expensive. But if you've got like $5,000 lying around, then <laughs> you could think about that. But I mean, even an aircon is even cheaper than that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Man, but yeah, that's getting pretty fancy. Mm. But <laughs> try to make it dark, quiet, comfortable, cold, and peaceful as well. I think another thing is just going to bed actually being in a fairly good headspace. I also understand that's always not achievable depending on what happened in the day. Sometimes things are just stressful that are going on in life. But uh, hey, if you actually are sleeping next to someone, like you have a partner and you guys sleep next to each other every single night, I know that you and I have a rule where it's like, don't bring business to the bedroom. <laughs> so don't talk about tasks or things like right before you're about to sleep that are like, oh God, <laughs> or like, man, I have to remember to do that tomorrow or like something like right before you're about to just totally turn off. So that's another thing. And uh, try to just go to bed on good terms with people. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. But what about before you actually walk into the bedroom? Like, you know, a nighttime routine. What about that? Mm. Yeah, as you said, you avoid, you want to avoid a stressful environment or stressful situation. So what I try and do is read for half an hour to an hour every night, mm. depending on how engrossing the book is that I'm reading. <laughs> and that helps a lot. I also wear blue light blockers as well, whether that helps too much or not, like the literature is in favor of it. So hence I, hence I do it. And some people like to take a warm shower as well because that promotes the body to cool down mm. before sleeping. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Most people would think that, shouldn't I be taking a cold shower if I wanna cool down before bed? But if you actually take a hot shower, it actually encourages the body to send heat to your extremities to really expel it so that your core body temperature lowers just a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And a big one, of course, is mobile phones. Mm. Again, sometimes it's hard to not bring a mobile phone into the bedroom because you might need it for an alarm, in which case I'd suggest just getting an alarm clock or using your watch. But I think people are too tempted if the phone is there, then they'll either uh, use it in bed or like when they go to sleep or when they wake up, they'll grab it when they wake up and go on it. And, and that's what I used to do, especially waking up. But I mean, for the past four or five years now, I've always slept with the phone in a different room. Yeah, and we're just having phenomenal night sleeps because of it. Yeah, I know that you and I, especially back in uni, our sleep hygiene was definitely not 
the best. Mm. <laughs> like I can admittingly say that I used to, I, I remember when I was working at UQ Sport, one, my schedule was all over the place, but I'd be like studying really late at night. And then when I would walk home at like 1130 at night, I'd walk past this really loud bus stop. I would be listening to music. I'd be on my phone, not even the, the warm light on, just like bright light straight in my face, scrolling through Instagram, so stimulated. And then I'd get home and I'd lay in bed and I'd scroll through Instagram and I'd be like, oh, okay, this is kind of boring. I'm gonna play a little bit of Candy Crush and then just like put down the phone. Like it was atrocious. It was, it was absolutely terrible. No wonder like my sleep was not nearly as good as it mm. is now. Luckily I was so exhausted that I could sleep at night, but it, the quality of sleep certainly could have been better. Yeah, but that's not that's not what you want to do for sure. Like I think there's a lot to be said for really trying to wind down and getting yourself into just a really relaxed state at night, whatever that means for you. But it really for a lot of people it does come down to try to not be too overstimulated. So don't be doing like really anxiety provoking or like just work stressing tasks late at night. Try to not watch a movie that's like super emotional or really action packed right before you're about to fall asleep. Social media, just like mindlessly scrolling and seeing different things and just having your brain just go dead. <laughs> I what What's really helped me lately is that we dim the lights, it's nice and quiet. And uh, I actually get off my phone about like an hour and a half before I wanna fall asleep. And we have a, a big table at our house and I've started doing like some puzzles at night. And that just totally helps my brain just completely turn off from the day, which is amazing. And then taking a shower at night and just like actually rolling out a yoga mat at night in the pitch dark and stretching and breathing for about 30 minutes before I go to bed. I've never slept better in my life. I am just so zen, <laughs> but it's taken me about 26 years to find that routine for myself. Yeah, I think um, as, as you said, finding a routine that works for you, like yoga is not gonna be doable for everyone every night. I don't. I wouldn't want to do yoga before I go to sleep. So. <laughs> oh, you call it yoga, but it's really just some low-key stretching. Mm. <laughs> it's just a little routine that I have. <laughs> yeah, I think finally I would say for nutrition is like one, don't drink too much in the hours leading up to uh, bed. Like ideally, you want to be well hydrated throughout the day, so you don't have to kind of chug a lot, of, lot of water in the evening. And of course, to avoid, no one wants to try and fall asleep thinking, oh crap, should I just use the bathroom? Or I feel like I need to use the bathroom or you don't want to be woken up too many times during the night. And also potentially capping at your final kind of meal about two hours prior to sleeping as well. I find that that's more beneficial maybe if someone's at maintenance or in a, in a surplus, but potentially in a deficit, it might actually be nice to have something closer than two hours before bed mm. because it might assist with appetite. Yeah, nutrition has to be so individualized on mm. that front, right? Because I think, yeah, that's a good golden rule of thumb. Try to finish your last meal at least two hours prior to bed. But the composition of that meal, sometimes people really need a bit more carbohydrates in their final meal of the day in order for them to get a good night's sleep. Other people, if they're accustomed to having a low carb meal at night, they're just fine. So it's not going to be the case of like a blanket statement there. Like everyone must eat 50 grams of carbs before they fall asleep. Otherwise their blood glucose levels are going to tank and they'll be up in the night all hungry and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find that 
especially if you're going between like building phases and dieting phases, what's actually really helped me over the years is always having my final meal of the day low carb, regardless of how many calories I'm actually eating during the day. And that way my circadian rhythm, my blood glucose levels are just really accustomed to that. So that's the interesting thing about me now entering into this recent dieting phase, just starting prep, is that my dinner is literally identical to what it was in the improvement season. I'll always basically just have vegetables and meat and a small dietary fat source at nighttime. And because I'm so accustomed to that, I sleep just fine but I understand each to their own (laughs) because sometimes if your carb intake is getting really high, you're like, holy crap, if I'm just gonna keep this 250 calorie meal at night, but my calorie requirements are 3000 during the day, all of my other meals, they need to be freaking packed full of the carbs. Yeah, it wouldn't be feasible for me. No. (laughs) Are you interested in optimizing your nutrition, training, or physique? If so, head on over to our website and explore our coaching services. We have options for everyone, regardless of whether or not you want to compete. Tap the link in the show notes below or head on over to our website, thebodybuildingdietitians.com to inquire now. Uh, But final two things that I'm just going to say is that I think something is really important to just not have too much on your mind before you go to bed. So try to not be planning for the next day going to bed, be like, okay, when I get up, I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. So already have a plan in place and maybe just be prepared for the next day already. So know that what time you're going to wake up, but know that perhaps I know what I'm going to eat for breakfast in the morning or my food's already prepped or my bag's already packed for work or for school or for the gym. Like try to prepare yourself for the following day before you actually get into bed so that you can just get a really peaceful night's sleep and not be anticipating anything or thinking even subconsciously what you need to do the next day. And then the final thing is napping. So I don't know about you, Jack. Well, actually, maybe I do know about you. You're not too much of a napper. No. (laughs) I think during our time together, about seven and a half years, I think I've seen you take one nap. Really? Yeah. One nap back in uni. When was that? Uh, We were about a year and a half into our relationship and we'd been studying all day and we were just about to go to the gym, but we were both pretty crashed and we're just like, let's just take a nap. It was quite sweet. (laughs) <laughs> mm, I don't remember that. I definitely remember it. But we took a nap uh, before we went to the gym, but it was a sweet nap. It was about 30 minutes, which is pretty much the golden time for a nap. You don't want to be napping for too long. Otherwise, if you take a nap and you're really tired, especially if your nap is close to bedtime, it can be quite tempting to just keep sleeping. But then, you know, you wake up, you're like in a total daze, really groggy. You don't even know what day it is. You don't know what's going on. Everyone knows what that feels like. But then when you finally try to go to bed a few hours later, you're still a little bit wired. You're not nearly as tired. So if you are going to take naps during the day, try to have them as far away from your bedtime as possible and keep them short and sweet. Mm -hmm. Mm. Good advice. Yeah, 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, I I know I'm a sucker for naps. Like I love taking a nap out in the sun. (laughs) Nothing feels better, but it's it's short and sweet. (laughs) Okay, next question. This one is, How to manage fatigue in prep on days where you feel like you've been hit by a truck. Gotta love those. So I think we have two different opinions on what this question means. Like, are we managing the fatigue or managing the day 
that's being changed as a result of the high fatigue. Mm. I think it's the case of you accept that prep chronically being dieted, you're going to feel a bit of lingering fatigue, right? But how to manage that to the best of your ability. So if it's a day where it's like, whew, I am feeling just exhausted today, but I got shiz to do. How do you manage that? How do you make it through that sort of day and still be a semi-productive human? Mm. Because I think we can both agree that in prep, like there's, there's nothing really acute that we can do to mm. suddenly get more energy. Unless that, unless potentially the fatigue has been associated with maybe a poorer mindset or um, being more stressed or anxious. And therefore maybe you can, because of course in prep, the combination of low energy availability may be combined with feeling stressed or anxious it can be a bit of a double whammy at a time. Mm-hmm. So maybe managing what is contributing to your poor mental health that day may assist it acutely, but I think we can't exactly, there's no magic supplement we can give. We can't just suddenly give someone more food that day to make them feel better while sort of remaining on track with the plan. Mm. So I think, as you said, it's going to be more so oriented around what can we do in terms of our routine, maybe to just get through the day and be Mm. still as productive as possible. Yeah, except that lingering fatigue is going to accumulate over time as you just keep dieting and you keep getting leaner. But one, try to not mentally submit to that and just be like, oh, you know, I'm now eight weeks out and I've hit that point where it's now just all downhill and doom and gloom from here. I'd say, don't submit to it. (laughs) But at the same time to accept it, but also don't make it worse than it needs to be. So heck, I think a really good tip could go back to what we were saying before is try to manage your sleep and get the best quality sleep that you possibly can given your individual circumstances. That's really going to help mitigate fatigue. (laughs) Mm. I think, yeah, you could pretty much preface this answer by saying, how is your whole prep being run? Because I've seen people who, for example, lose 20 kilos in 15 weeks or they do 30 sets in the gym for a given training session mm. or they're doing an hour and a half on the stairmaster every day so like you need to first ensure that your actual approach to prep is appropriate mm. whether it's you or your coach that's a good point because certain approaches that are far more extreme than others are certainly going to lead to higher levels of fatigue than others mm. yeah because ultimately in a prep we want as little fatigue as possible some fatigue is inevitable and and that's why you sometimes take like two steps forward one step back that step back might be like a diet break or a refeed or a high day or a deload yeah so again the strategy of the prep itself is integral to managing fatigue but i guess let's say you have a great approach to prep and you're still faced with a really difficult day in terms of fatigue and your your mindset is still great you're just literally just super fatigued mm. you've woken up and feels like you're kind of I don't know, swimming through sand. (laughs) I think ultimately it's going to be about prioritizing when you have the most energy and being as productive as possible Mm -hmm. in that time. And for most people, we kind of spoke about this on the bodybuilding down under podcast, but a lot of the time that is going to be in the morning Mm. when people wake up. Yeah. There's this saying that's called eat frogs for breakfast. And what that means is essentially you want to tackle never heard that saying. <laughs> well, now you have eat frogs for breakfast, not literally, but what it really means is that tackle the biggest tasks in the morning that are really going to require the most oomph from you. So 
For most people, that is either cognitive or physical tasks that later in the day as things drag on and, you know, later in the day, people just don't feel quite as wired or alert. It's really those hours in the morning that I at least find for a lot of people are the most golden. So take advantage of those hours where you feel the most mentally switched on and like you just have the highest cognitive capacity and also physical capacity too. And then dedicate those golden hours to really tackling the big tasks for the day. So let's say that you're a student in the morning, dedicate those first hours of the morning where you're the most mentally switched on to studying. Or if you're working and you've got a project that you're working on, or you need to create some sort of educational social media content, then take advantage of that time when you are mentally switched on. Or hell, if you've got a big leg session to tackle that day, get yourself to the gym in the morning, train hard and give it your best effort so that these things just aren't lingering over you for the rest of the day. And as the day drags on, you're like, oh God, it just seems a lot more daunting and just overwhelming than it needs to be if you just attacked it first thing. Yeah, that was definitely a point in our second prep or your third, my second prep where we and we started the prep by training at what, 11 or 12, I think, mm. which is it looking back, that was a weird time to train. No, it started later in the afternoon. We used, we used to train closer to like one to 2 PM in uni. Sometimes it was like anywhere between three to four, but then it gradually shifted because we were getting up earlier. We were having our breakfast earlier, which means we were having our lunch earlier, which means you were going to the gym earlier. But yeah, when it got to the point where we're like, Man, we've already had two meals. It's 11 a.m. Now we need no, to go No, you know have... what started it? We got we got Boston as a puppy. And, ah. and one of us had to train early in the morning. Not super early, more like just 8 or 9 a.m. Mm. And and I, I think I was the first one who did that. And I realized that, wow, this, was, this actually feels way better than mm. kind of just delaying the session until 11 or so. Yeah, I, it works so well for you and I. And we've never gone back, especially in prep if you're trying to front load more calories. Like if you've got your biggest meal of the day, your pre-workout meal, your breakfast, then you go to the gym and you try to drag your gym session almost out for as long as you can with training, some posing, maybe a few steps, just like let it drag out. So then that pushes that post-workout meal as far as possible, <laughs> which I'm not talking about like, Jesus, you're in the gym for five hours and talking about like, you know, you get to the gym at nine and you try to stay there till maybe 1130, maybe 12. Mm. Then you come home, you eat, and then you're like, oh God, I did it. I train legs. I can just dominate the rest of the day now. <laughs> yeah. That would, yeah, probably be my number one tip mm. personally. Yeah. I think a lot of the rest of it is just having a bit of grit and mm. getting through the day because there's no magic way necessarily to make it easier from a physiological perspective. Mm. Yeah. So just don't waste those golden hours. And for the large majority of people in prep and when you're dieting too, you generally wake up earlier in the morning and you're just ready to go. So just start doing things and take advantage of your mental capacity because it does start to fade and it does start to fizzle as the day goes on. So if you recognize that you're very perked up, very alert, and you can be a very productive human at that time, then don't waste that. You know, Don't waste those golden hours running little errands that don't really require a lot of mental capacity, <laughs> you know, mm. like driving to the grocery store or sitting in a chair and getting your hair done for two hours at times when you're actually the most mentally on, 
or scrolling social media or just doing little things where it's like, this can happen later in the day when like I'm actually a lot more brain fried. And if anything, it feels a lot more rewarding. Like it feels really good during the early hours of the day to just be a very productive, accomplished human on all fronts, whether that's with your work, your training, your studying, obviously if you're a mother or a father, and then later in the day when the sun is down, that's when you can lay on your back on the couch and be like, all right, I'm just gonna mindlessly scroll Instagram now. And it actually feels a lot more rewarding than if you were just doing that at like 7 a.m. in the morning, when it's actually like, I could be doing other things. Mm. I think another important point as well is just avoiding multitasking. Yeah, and that's a really good one because in in prep or when you're dieting for a long period of time, everyone knows that sometimes your brain can feel a little bit like mashed potatoes <laughs> and it's really difficult to focus on multiple things at once as if it wasn't already. So trying to just do one thing at a time and do that thing well. So limiting distractions. So that means that if you're trying to sit down at your computer and you need to work on a project or you need to study or you need to respond to some clients, whatever it may be, do that one thing. Don't have music playing in the background, your phone up next to you with Facebook or Instagram, just all of these other distractions, things going bing, bong, boom, like all these little pings. Like you just want to focus on doing one thing at a time because your fuse is short and it's really difficult to actually focus if you've already got things like coming in at you from every single direction and you can easily feel very overstimulated and that can feel very anxiety provoking and overwhelming and just really unpleasant. I even find that sometimes in the gym. If I am in the gym and I've been dieting for a long period of time and maybe it's a low carb day and I've had, you know, pre-workout before, like, If I'm in a situation where I'm like, I'm making this way more overwhelming and just like, there's so many stimuli coming at me in terms of there's music blaring in my ears, there's caffeine going through me. I'm already a little bit anxious about the leg numbers that I have to hit today. But at the same time, maybe I'm not being very disciplined and I'm like, I'm just gonna allow myself to scroll Instagram and you know, oh, these WhatsApp messages are popping up from clients and texts are popping up. And I'm just like, oh, I'll just respond intermittently or oh, I'm waiting on this email to come through. I'm gonna keep checking my email. Like there's so many things going on. It can make the entire experience just like very, very overwhelming. So if you're in a situation like that where you can't handle that many stimuli, then what you need to do is you need to reduce the stimuli. What I find the most beneficial is primarily has to do with my phone, but I take my headphones out. I don't even listen to music. I will just listen to the gym music. I'll put my phone away in my bag and I will just be in the gym and I will just train. I'll just walk around with my water bottle and my towel and I will just be in the session. So many distractions limited. And that just helps to just bring me back to a place and really helps me focus. But it obviously improves the quality of the session, no doubt, but I just feel way better. I'm just not nearly as cognitively taxed or drained or just feel like a scatterbrain. And yeah, so it's those little things that can really creep up on you. And I would say that when you're in a state of higher energy availability, you're more well-fed, you're resistant to those sort of things. You can handle a lot more stimuli, but there's something to be said for sometimes things can just be way too overwhelming and uh, you need to really start to limit them. Otherwise you are gonna crack. 
Yep. Everyone <laughs> has the threshold. Have you ever been in a situation like that in the gym where it's just like there's too much going on? Uh, not necessarily. The, the, I wouldn't limit it to the gym. But yeah, I think there are times where maybe when I wake up and there's like double the amount of usual inputs or if I sometimes if I because I always do about an hour of work in the morning. Sometimes like even after an hour of work, I've still only accomplished like half of what I wanted to do. And then I have to go to the gym like I can sometimes go to the gym knowing, oh, I still got to tick off all these boxes after the gym. Mm. Usually I like to have a fair amount done before I go, but mm. it just depends. Yeah. So once again, don't waste those sort of golden hours. And when you're going to do something, do that one thing, do it well, and then move on to the next task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. But hey, we are running on over half an hour now. Probably going to wrap up this podcast, but Jack, I've got one thing to ask you. What is something that you learned this week? So I learned not to buy a particular brand of microwave rice. I'm not sure if maybe because it, it was on special, so maybe they were older packets, but I did microwave it and essentially it came out like when you leave rice in the rice cooker for a day and it's just really hard. That retrogradation. Mm. Hey, maybe you had some extra resistance starch. Maybe. But still did what I had to do and ate all the rice with some tin salmon <laughs> at the show go. yesterday. And does the rice company, do? are they going to be shunned or we're not going to mention thy name? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll tell the name. It was Sun Rice. But I think they have too much of a established foot in the rice industry to really... I don't think my words will make too much of a dent in their reputation. Uh, I don't know. Customer feedback. Yeah. Hey, this rice was too clumpy. Mm. It was, yeah, I would say it would be inedible by a normal person. <laughs> but Jack Radford Smith, he's determined to uh, yeah. get that family pack down. Well, I mean, if I usually drink food, then uh, I'm sure I can tolerate some hard rice. Mm. On that topic, how many up and goes did you have? Was it six? <laughs> no, <laughs> just three. <laughs> okay, just three. High protein, of course, mm. though. <laughs> they honestly are a good bulking snack, though, because... For two of them, it's like 50 carb, 40 protein, approximately eight grams of fat. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I always question with products like that is, you know, people always quote this magical number for protein, 20 grams. With companies like that, that label things as high protein, but you look on the label and it's like 17.6 or 18.9. I'm like, man, could you just sprinkle a little bit of extra whey in there? And then Mm. think of the things that would do for your marketing. 20 grams of protein! Because a lot of people have that magical number in their head to say, ooh, you know, that's that's the minimum threshold to be anabolic. So I don't get... not many people in the scheme of things. Ah, but hey, seeing a number like 20 grams of protein rather than 17 grams of protein or something. I'm like, ooh. Mm. They actually use soy protein. Yeah, that's another funny thing. I read that label. Yeah. (laughs) What did you learn? What I learned this week is that you are allowed to take a hair straightener in your carry-on on a plane. So I had to Google that one because Jack and I flew up to Townsville this past weekend for the ICN Tropic show, the last one in history, supposedly. And uh, we only took some carry-ons, which were basically like they had a lot of food in them and about one change of clothing and a hair straightener. So I had to Google, are you allowed to take hair straighteners in your carry-ons? And 
lo and behold, you are. So there you go. You are allowed to put microwaves in your luggage and you're allowed to put hair straighteners in your carry-on. So the more you know, <laughs> have fun traveling. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today's podcast. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD, and we will catch you next week.